Jen Morris and Angie Fiedler Sutton, and you're listening to episode 10 of Stage Savvy. director, producer, and all-around good guy, Art Tuskin. Uh, he is also the December spotlight for Casey Stage Magazine, which is on sale now at Barnes & Noble on the Plaza or online at caseystage.com. Plug, plug. Indeed. Well, welcome, Art. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So, I know that a lot of what we're going to talk about, some of what's been touched on is on the Casey Stage article, but what we'd like to do is kind of delve in a little bit deeper. Um, and find out a little bit more about you. So why don't you give everyone uh, an overview of, of kind of what, what you do, what you come from, and, and just a quick blip. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I started in theater very, very young and um, never really looked back. I, I started my first theater company uh, in 1965. That's a long time ago. <laughs> theater was new then. <laughs> and then I've started many companies since, and I have since uh, started my last one. I'm primarily a director, but I've done everything. I've done a lot of acting in New York as well as Kansas City and in Miami and other places, and uh, directing as well. So that's pretty much what I do, and that's pretty much all I do. And I am fortunate to have a lot of friends and colleagues who want to work with me, and so I'm casting as you know, sometimes a problem as it is for everybody in theater in, in Kansas City, but because there's so many theaters who are fishing in that pool. But the but the fact is that uh, you know, I, I'm, casting is something I'm able to do and probably the thing I do best. So we're just doing show after show after show. When I started the theater gym in uh, 2006, it was a school first, but I always intended for it to be a production company. And in 2009, we started producing plays, and I direct I've directed all of them so far, but that won't be the case in 2012. I'm going to bring in some other directors and also up the pace and the ante and the whole nine yards. I mean, the, you know, the theater is, is, the shows have been successful and the one coming up, Fox and the Fairway, looks to be very successful. So, Well, in the extended interview that I did with you that ended up not making the full cut, we talked a little, um, <laughs> about kind of your basic concept for the theater, Jim, that you did basic kind of on the concept of a gym as it's known in the vernacular, so to speak. Tell us a little bit more about where that came from and how you got that idea and, and where that's going to change now that you're also doing shows. Well, I, it started when I, you know, when I was in New York, and I was in New York for a long time, people would go to class all the time. And the purpose of class for uh, any actor, and this, this included top professionals would go to class too, just like dancers go to class every day in New York. And uh, I, I thought it might be the way to approach it to have sort of a gym, very much like an uh, athletic gym, where people would buy time and come in and uh, you know for a month or two months or a quarter or a year and could come in any time and work out their creative muscles. And that's why the uh, logo for the theater gym is Shakespeare with a barbell, lifting a barbell that has mask of comedy on one barbell and one, and one bell and mask of tragedy on the other. It is to work out your creative muscles. And that really doesn't change if you, even if you do productions. But w I found that Kansas City actors aren't really interested in that idea as much as I hoped they would be. Uh, and so it became more traditional for a while, uh, the acting classes. And then we changed from that 
to production, and I put the school aspect of it on hiatus while we geared up our production arm. And that's working just great. And uh, next year I hope to be doing both, both of the school and the uh, producing. Well, awesome. I know one of the things you mentioned in the interview that was that part of the reason you did start doing productions is that you feel a lot of the best learning is basically, in a way, on-the-job training, that you learn a lot more in the rehearsal process than you would ever do necessarily in a class. Well, there are teachers, I think, who work very well without having a uh, play to focus on. And I can do that, but I I think that for the actor, any actor, I don't care what level you're at, is going to learn and wants to learn. Otherwise, it's like a shark and food. You've got to keep learning when, as an actor or you die. And, and, and all, almost all actors do. The, and, and they learn on the job, as you say. They, they, they From rehearsals and from performances and from the whole process of putting a play together, they hopefully get better and better and better. By having something specific to focus on, a specific script and a specific production, any kind of information of that nature is much more accessible to actors. And so that's another thing about the theater gym. It's still a theater gym, and it's still the point is to learn your craft, but we're all learning our craft all the time. We never stop. It never ends, thank God. Agreed. And I know that I took classes when I was in Los Angeles as an actor, and I know that, as you mentioned, New York, that philosophy exists as well of constantly being in class, and that was something that was always reiterated to me. And then I remember coming to Kansas City, and this is prior to the theater gym, Mm -hmm. but going, okay, so where do I take these classes? I I don't know where to go at this point. So uh, it's really exciting to have that opportunity to come forward. What type of subjects or what type of concepts do you think as actors, individuals really need to be focusing on and really honing in all the time? Um, I know we discussed, you know, really working on all aspects of the craft. Mm -hmm. But is it something where, is it traditional uh, just going over scripts and doing basic uh, breakdowns of the script, or do you? Well, it's part of it, but it's not the big thing. Uh, the big thing is getting your your mind right, getting centered, so that you're able to give your best and understand what's expected of you, what you should expect of yourself as an actor, and what the audience expects. Those are often different things, and dealing with you know all the different kinds of individuals you run into in the theater. That has to be something you have to you have to be able to survive all that and, and, and enjoy it, really. And so part of the classes are based on that. I also I do audition classes. We do scene work. We, I've done scene work. And I have an infinite number of stories, that, that actually, the things that actually really happened to me or that, you know, or that I know about from my study of history. And I should mention that as well. We stand on the shoulders of giants. And part of the pr- purpose of the theater gym is to put people in touch with that. You have to know why you're doing what you're doing. You have to under It, it actually invests your acting with a kind of uh, power when you realize that Edmund Keane did this or Shakespeare did this or the Greeks did this and that's why we're doing it because it worked so you know you have to understand that a little bit of theater history and that's part of it too it's about so it's information knowledge and a sense of confidence a sense of making yourself a centered artist when you are in the rehearsal atmosphere and when you're in the performance atmosphere and what the difference is. And then there's the third animal, the audition atmosphere, which isn't like anything else. (laughs) Totally different from performing, totally different from rehearsing. Well, when you're directing, as you are, you're directing the Fox on the Fairway as well as producing, correct? Mm -hmm. Since it is a theater gym production, do you consider this almost a class? Hmm. 
And if so, how do you approach, I mean, is your rehearsal process different when it's a theater gym pr- production versus if you're directing oh. at another for theater in the park, for example, no. or the bar and players? No, it's not. Directing is directing. I've always felt that you need to learn more when you, you know, when I direct a play, that part of my job as a director is to offer something that the actor hasn't thought of before or seen before. And if that happens, that's called education. And, you know, let's not use that word too much, though, because it sounds, you know, it sounds terribly academic, and it's <laughs> not at all. But, but information is power, and to know these things is important. I've always done that. I've always tried to give more information than people, ex- the actors expect when they rehearse, as, uh, not just about the play that they're working on and the scene they're working on, and, or, you know, but, but also about things that might not normally be associated with the idea of doing a, a play. I mean, philosophy, science, anything that helps get the character centered and moving, I will use. Absolutely. And kind of taking it aside, Angie and I both look at very knowledgeable topics as well as experiential topics. Kind of tell me a little bit as far as what drove you to want to be a director? Where did you get that bug? When did that start where you were like, ooh, this is, this is interesting? Well, I can be, I, I actually, there's a, there's, there's a little sh- story here. I'll make it quick. When I was in high school, actually in junior high, the biggest theater thing in the, at, at, at Pembroke Hill then was the new burgeoning Glee Club, which is now kind of a nationally known organization. But at the time, it was for the sissies and and so forth, and the football football was everything. And by the time I left Pembroke and graduated, the, the number one activity on campus was was the Glee Club. But and part of the Glee Club was doing shows. We did Gilbert and Sullivan. And the first two years, uh, as a seventh grader and eighth grader, I was in the show. But as a ninth grader, I wanted a part of Coco and Mikado didn't get it. And I was you know there's that speech. And now I want to announce, and I knew it was coming. This boy, this, this young man has helped us so much, and he's so good, blah, 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 and he's going to be student director. Well, the year before, the guy who was student director did nothing, but like, he was a librarian. So I, and I, so I wasn't altogether thrilled, but I walked up to the Mel Bishop, who was a genius, and one, my, one of my great mentors, uh, and I said to him, I said, uh, am I student director in more than name only? And Mel said, yes, you are. And I said, rehearsals begin Saturday. <laughs> And I and I had a, I have a tape, a reel to reel tape, of the first rehearsal I ever conducted. For Can you still play reel to reel tapes anywhere? No, no, I, have to, I just hold it very close to my ear, like a seashell. <laughs> but and that was that was in the early '60s, you know, and and, and I you know and, I, and I've been directing and acting ever since, of course. Well, do you have any uh, tips or tricks for someone who's interested in becoming a director or who is maybe a beginning director looking to go to that next step? Uh, one of the things I asked you in the interview that I always love to ask people is, you know, if you could talk to you, you know, back when you were first starting, what would be the things that you would impart in terms of your directing career? Now, for your World of Warcraft people, it would be get better gear. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> so level, you want yeah, to grind. Yeah, yeah, right, right. There's a quest that does that. Uh, <laughs> advice I would give myself? Tips and tricks for others starting or new directors that are looking to get that next step or, or you know, things you would tell your, you know, think, advice you would give yourself. One yes. of those. I would say read everything, listen to every bit of advice you get, and know that the major rule about advice is you don't have to take it. I learned that very early, and it stood me in good stead. But on the other hand, you never know. Also, no matter what you think, it's not about you. No matter how it seems, no matter how people treat you, it's never about you. It's always about the play, the production, 
the actor. I say I don't direct plays, I direct people. I direct actors. Uh, I tailor each time I work to the kinds of people I'm working with. I, it's not an objective process for me. It's not some objective idea of the play. Know the people you're, you're casting, know the people you're working with, and as much as possible without spoiling the play, tailor the play to their natures and their, and, and their strengths and weaknesses. And I, I think those are the main things. Listen, 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 and work, work, work. Do anything. The last bit is you don't want to go into the theater at all if you can do anything else. <laughs> I mean, if you can do anything else at all and that brings you joy and pleasure and hopefully some remuneration, you should probably do that. That's, that's the key you, because it's just too hard. For actors, there are so many uh, roles out there, but even then, actors are constantly disappointment. It's one rejection after another. But think how many fewer plays there are for directors than there are roles for actors. And, and what often happens is people get their groups together and they, they become somewhat insular at times and they all do the same play over and over and over. Well, when you're Second City or when you're you know, Saturday Night Live cast, that helps you. That puts you together and, and, you, and you get each other up. But most, more often than not, a group of people who work together all the time drag each other down. Mm-hmm. You've got to be careful of that. Always look for new people. Always look for new things. And keep moving. That's about it. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, kind of tell me, I know you're from Kansas City, as you said, mm-hmm. but you had a lot of opportunities all throughout life. And know. he spent some time in New York. Yes, in New York, Miami. You mentioned you've done a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is touched on slightly in the article. Why, why did you decide it was time to come back to Kansas City? Why did you decide to come here to start the theater gym? Why didn't you do it? in New York or in Miami or somewhere else? Well, this is my home. I mean, I have ties here. I have pe- pe- people here. I, you know, I had family here. And I also, it was funny because when I went to New York, anyone who went to New York at that time and came back, even for a week or two weeks or six months, was considered something different. But when I went to New York and came back, it was 10 years, and by the time I got back, it wasn't such a big deal anymore to be, be from New York, which is interesting because there is something about working in New York that, you, that is different from anything else. New York changes you, period. It does. Toughens you up, makes you more sensible, makes you more efficient as a person and as a theater artist. Has to. And, yeah, I could have stayed in New York, but I, I just, I didn't really, I, I wanted to come back here and, you know, I think I probably had some sort of idea of a hero's quest, having gone and found the treasure and bringing it back to my home. <laughs> you know, And I did find that treasure in New York. It was an incredible experience. What, as the band said, this was an adult dose but the <laughs> from in the last waltz. And, you know, and I learned a lot in New York, an amazing... It, made, it, it changed me totally. It made me a better actor, an infinitely better director. And gave me an, an awareness of the level of possibility for live theater, for actors and directors and designers and everything else, that I had no clue about, except at that time, from Missouri Rep, which is now KC Rep. Dr. Mack knew this. She was great at it. But that's where you saw that level sometimes, a glimmer of that flash of light moment on stage where you know you're in the hands of someone who really knows what they're doing and is going to take you on a wonderful ride. That kind of acting is rare, even among good actors. And that's what I'm always shooting for. 
That's why I go to Canada every year. I go to Shaw Festival in Stratford because I think that's the best acting, best theater on the continent. It's as good as New York, if not better, because it reminds me of what it is we're doing, what the level of possibility is. I'm always interested in that. Now, I know you've worked with a lot of community theaters. You worked with the Theater in the Park, and you worked with Okta, and I want to say you've worked with the Barn Players. Is that correct? The Barn, City Theater of Independence. I actually, when the Unicorn was the theater workshop, I was one of the first directors there. I did the first adult show they'd ever did. They were doing children's theater at the time in the early 70s. And uh, down at the River Key, in a, in a loft. And I did, I, you know, I did some grown-up shows. And uh, Craps Last Tape, I think, was the first one. And then, you know, I, I, I've worked with all, uh, all, a lot of, I, I worked with the Missouri Shakespeare Festival, which is not to be confused with the Heart of America Shakespeare Festival, but that predated the Heart of America Shakespeare Festival by decades. Uh, new Directions, I mean, you name it. I've worked with dozens of theaters in Kansas City. So what do you like best about the Kansas City theater scene in terms of not only working with it, but just seeing what's out there and whatnot? Well, it's, 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 it's a fertile environment. There's so much going on, particularly right now. Uh, there are a lot of wonderful theaters that are, that are producing uh, edgy things. And if we can get the audience to buy into that and take that inevitable chance, which is like second nature in New York, that's what people do. They go out, they find a play that they've never heard of, and they walk in. That never happens. That rarely happens here. But on the other hand, if you know, by doing all these wonderful shows, i got to give uh, Unicorn credit, too. Cynthia's done an amazing amount of work to help broaden the minds of audiences and make them more accepting of new stuff. And uh, there are, now everyone is, and everyone's working on it. So there's a sense of fertility, if you will, and, and it's a fecund environment theatrically. We've kind of addressed this, but I feel like it's been overlooked a little bit. You are also a strong producer, having created theater team, having created, you know, producing your own shows. Is producing just a way to get to directing, or is that another uh, aspect that you enjoy as well? Okay, that's a good question, actually. Producing is different from directing. It's a, you know, it's a very different, it's, it's all operational, it's administrative, and it's organizational. When I do all that stuff, it gives me a sense of the whole play. When I do a rehearsal schedule, when I do a scene breakdown, when I do all the stuff that often a stage manager would do or a producer would do, you know, make notes about the design and so forth and talk with designers, choose them and hire them, I find out more about the play. So when I walk into the, the rehearsal room, and there's only one rehearsal room, it's the same room, it doesn't mean it's what show you're doing, what building it's in, it's this rehearsal room. When, you walk, when I walk in there, I'm really ready. I really know the, know the territory. But more than that, I kind of enjoy it. It's, it's something I'm almost embarrassed about. But I, I, I really enjoy <laughs> sitting there and, and making lists and making you know, details. Directing, uh, producing, even acting. The main thing is the details. Details, details, details. They say God is in the details, and so is the devil, by the way. But on the other hand, so you got to be careful which details you pick. But, uh, they, but, but I will say that uh, details are everything. I love details. I love minutia. When I direct, ask anyone who's worked with me, I can be pretty picky. And uh, particularly when it comes to comedy, details are, detail are, are important. And that way, I know what's going on. I know the, whole, the, the big picture, and I know the fine points of everything about the production. And I like, to do, I like that. That doesn't mean I don't de- delegate responsibility. I have a partner uh, who works with me almost on every show, Scott Stubbs, who is incredible and handles stage management and design, some of the design functions and building. And he and I are in constant communication about every aspect of the show. 
So, you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not me alone. I don't know. I, I don't think of myself as a control freak, but I imagine uh, there are some people who would disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're running to the end of this interview, so let's uh, kind of end on talking about your current production, The Fox on the Fairway. We do talk about it um, a lot in the article that's in Casey Stage, and, and we don't want to give away too much about it, but t- tell us a little bit m- uh, more about The Fox on the Fairway and just kind of a brief uh, two-minute what, what it is, why you're doing it, and that kind of stuff. Okay, well, I've seen the play. I love Ken Ludwig, first of all. I've done uh, uh, Let Me a Tenor, and I, you know, and we've all been waiting for a new farce from him. And there, were, there were four or five productions of Let Me a Tenor in Kansas City alone last year. Last year. It was written in 1989. So people are, are, are eager for this guy, and I, could, and I uh, ended up by uh, luck and planning getting the Midwest premiere rights to it. It is a... Absolute delight. Leave your brain at home. It's entertainment as art, but it's mainly entertainment. I mean, if George S. Co- George S. Kaufman said there has to be a, a laugh every 18 seconds in a play, try 1.8 seconds, okay, <laughs> for this. If you've seen Noises Off, if you've seen a good production of Lend Me a Tenor or Moon Over Buffalo, also by Ken Ludwig, you know what I'm talking about. It just doesn't stop. And that's what we're going for with Fox on the Fairway. It's a perfect holiday gift for, for anyone. Uh, at this time of year and it's about golf <laughs> and everyone in December who plays golf is going crazy because they want to get out and play golf so, so the, it's a sl- slamming door farce non-stop funny all story all the time from beginning to end and it plays starting December 15th through the 31st uh, at just off Broadway and uh, you can get tickets at CTO. The best way to do that is go to the Theater Gym website, www.theatergym.com or .org, spell theater any way you wish. And we will have that linked on the show notes. Right. And there'll be links there to get to the central ticket office and information about the show and about times and the various ticket prices. And I hope everyone comes. It'll be a joy. It'll be a joy. It'll be a wonderful way, memory from, from this holiday season awesome. for you. Anything else, Jen? No, I just really appreciate you coming in and and sharing your experience, sharing your knowledge with us. Okay, well, we'll take a short break where we'll do our bumper, and then we'll be right back. Hey, this is Rye Kincaid, Kansas City playwright and all-around good guy. Uh, Please listen to Stage Savvy. It's it's an all-around good show. Thanks for listening. We'll listen to episode 10 of Stage Savvy, hosted by Jen Morris. And Angie Fiedler-Sutton. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'd love to hear your feedback. You can send us comments in several ways. You can comment on the blog posting for this podcast over at angiefsutton.wordpress.com, which is also where you'll find the show notes for this podcast, including links of some of the other things we talked about. Uh, you can also email A Fiedler, that's A, F is in food, I, E, D is in dog, L, E, R, at kcstage.com. Or if you'd like to comment uh, to be on the podcast, you can leave us a voicemail at 816-23-STAGE. Please indicate that you're calling for the podcast. This is the regular phone number for Casey Stage Magazine. We'd like to thank KKFI-FM 90.1 for letting us record this podcast in their lovely studios, as well as Jason Bauer, who wrote the great theme music, A Variation of I Got Rhythm. Thanks also to Ryke and Kate for that bumper, and of course, a special thanks to Art Suskin for talking to us today. Well, since this is an audio podcast, we're ending each podcast with a song usually written and or performed by a local musician. 
free musician and you'd like us to highlight something you've written, just send us a note either, again, by email at afeeler at caseystage.com or by calling 81623-STAGE and mentioning the podcast. This month, we have another song written and performed by Rick Malsick, who you may remember from Episode 5. Oh, we sound like we're from Star Wars. <laughs> um, as usual, uh, we'll link where you can find more information about him in our show notes. Here is Nobody's Place Like Home by Rick Malsick.
Stage Savvy is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org.